0: Well, we are currently in this series that we've entitled Messiah. And I think it's an appropriate series to follow our last one that we were just in in the book of Isaiah because at the end of Isaiah, it was talking about this future, this future that God was creating, this Messiah that was going to come. And here's the, here's the reality of the facts. Knowing about That prophecy in Isaiah. And and then taking a glimpse of what's going on in our world. To be honest, there are a lot of messiahs in our current culture. There's a lot of messiahs in our world that are walking around that are claiming they can promise you the world and more that they can promise you healing, whether that's physical healing or emotional healing or relational healing or spiritual healing, that they can provide this healing to you. There's these messiahs that are walking around in our world and throughout our culture that promise prosperity, that promise that they can restore you, promise that they can actually set you free for whatever it is that might be holding you back in your life. We've got a lot of those walking around in our world. And I think this is a a good reminder of what's relevant and current in our culture about reminding us that there is a Messiah that can heal, that can restore, that can redeem, that can set people free, and his name is Jesus. And Mark is very clear in that, in his gospel. Right at the very beginning, he is declaring that Jesus is the Christ. And and we looked at that idea of what that term Christ means in the Greek, and it means Messiah. So right off the bat, he was declaring Jesus is the Messiah. Something I didn't mention yet about Mark. Mark is the oldest of all of the Gospels that were written. And Mark was written to address the question whether Jesus was the Messiah. And the promise of this Gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for at that time. Last week we looked at the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the king, the arrival of Jesus. And we look at these several different aspects of Jesus, the Messiah. And Mark reminds us and lets us know that Jesus is a messiah that can be trusted. There's a lot of a lot of kings and there are a lot of messiahs in our world that cannot be trusted. Jesus, he reminds us and lets us know, can is a messiah that can be trusted. He tells us that Jesus is a Messiah that is worthy of our devotion and love. And that Jesus is also a Messiah that's able to set us free. This week, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the storm-calming power of the Messiah. And in chapter 4, there's this incredible story of Jesus calming a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And here's the reality of it. I know all of us are facing some sort of storms in our lives. Whether we just came out of it, or we've experienced one, or we're in the midst of one right now, we all have this understanding of what it looks like, what it feels like to walk through a storm. So, knowing that, a storm-calming Messiah is a very relevant thing to be talking about because it's going to give us some reassurances in the midst of our storms that there is this Messiah that has this storm-calming power that he will unleash into our life. So this is what Mark says. Mark 4, starting at verse 35, it says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Be still. And then immediately the wind died down and it was completely calm. He then turned and said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still, ha- Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they started to ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey them. Now this story that Mark recalls and he writes is all about the power of Jesus. The storm-calming power of Jesus. And I think there are four things brought to the surface about this storm-calming power of Jesus. First one is this. The storm-calming power of Jesus is real. It's real. It's interesting how Many little details are placed into this story. We're told in verse 35 that it took place in the evening. We're told in verse 36 that Jesus' boat was surrounded by other boats. In verse 38, we are told that Jesus went to sleep on a cushion. Again, in verse 38, we are told that Jesus was sleeping in the stern. And back in verse 36, we are told Jesus got into the boat just as he was. Now, just for a moment, what does that mean? He got into the boat just as he was. What does that even mean? Well, what what this is doing is it's referring back to the very beginning of chapter 4, where we are told that Jesus got into another boat as the crowds were pressing in, and then trying to get some distance, got into a boat that the disciples then Pushed a little, pushed it back from the shore a little bit, just to give a little bit of distance, but a, a little bit better acoustics, and that he was able to teach the crowd from that boat. What we're told is that Jesus transferred from that boat to another boat, just as he was. Meaning this, he didn't go back to shore to get anything else, he just hopped from one boat. To the one that he's currently in. So what's the significance of all those little details? Because they are... De- well, what's significant is because they are details that aren't really significant. And that's why they are significant. None of the details it, that have been listed add to the story. None of the details actually move the story along. None of these little details actually clarify the story in any way. Which means those details are probably included in the story because why? It was an eyewitness account. It was was something that was seen through the eyes of somebody. And the reason I point that out is because sometimes people look at the stories of Jesus at that time and even still today and see them as these mystical legends. These mystical legends that make some sort of a specific or spiritual point. But here's the reality. Actually, they're rooted in historical reality. Like there was all these mystical legends going on in Jesus's day. And sometimes Jesus' stories could get swept up in them. But the reality of Jesus, the difference between Jesus's stories and these legends is that Jesus's stories were filled with facts and there was truth behind them. You know this wasn't just some legend. This wasn't just some fict- fictitious story that was being told. It was rooted in reality. And that's why all these little details are there to let us to remind us that this power that Jesus has, it's real. It's not just some legend. It's it's real. And we need to be reminded of that. Jesus isn't some legend. He isn't some fictitious character in a greater story, but there's all these little tiny details put in the story to let us know that this was actually seen and experienced by somebody, and they're writing their account. And this is letting us know and reminding us that Jesus' power is real. It's real, it's not fake, it's not imagined but it's real. Another thing that we can see from this passage is that the storm-calming power of Jesus is incomprehensible as well. It's beyond our ability to comprehend his power. The Sea of Galilee, what we need to understand, the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. And then there's all these mountains around it, and you get the cold air From these mountains that are coming down and constantly clashing with the warm air from the sea. So the Sea of Galilee was a place where there were constant storms going on. And any of the fishermen in the area would have been used to these conditions. And they would have dealt with them all the time. So this must have been some incredible storm because these experienced sailors, these experienced fishermen who have experienced storms all the time, they thought they were going to die. They wake Jesus up, and they say, and they don't say to him, it's getting a little rough out here, or they don't say, you know, we're a little bit concerned about what's going on here. They, they wake him up and they say, we are going to drown. And when Jesus gets up, The first thing he does is he addresses, he speaks to the storm. And he says what? Remember, he says, quiet, be still. Now some commentaries have said that that given that kind of verb tense that was used in the original, that the phrase actually might be better translated as be quiet and stay quiet. That's not something that you just say to a storm like this. It's something you might say to a child, right? And I'm sure we've all had those experiences, especially when we're in the car, right, driving, and it's like, just be quiet and stay quiet. Let's play, you know, we've all played this game. Let's play this game. It's called the quiet game, right? Whoever can stay the quiet the longest wins. And that's kind of what we would say to a child. Not to this big, massive storm, kind of like a hurricane that we see about and read about that happens in our world. Especially recently with Hurricane Fiona and just the destruction that storm did up all along the eastern coast of North America. You just don't go up to the hur- Hurricane Fiona and say, okay, quiet. Just stay quiet. You don't. Like I said, it's something we might say to a child. What's even more astonishing is what Jesus says is that the storm obeys him. Maybe even better than some kids, right? That the storm listens. And we are told that immediately after that, Jesus says, Right after he said that, quiet, it says the wind died down and was completely calm. The wind died down and was completely calm. Maybe some of you have been on a boat in the midst of a storm. Or maybe just in the midst of a little bit of rough sea and you thought, oh my goodness, we're going to die. Could be out fishing you could have been on a cruise could have been on one of the ferries right um, thankfully i haven't been on a ferry in a storm but i've heard of some people that have been on the ferry in a storm and you know in the midst of the storm that the wind can stop and sometimes stop immediately but even if the wind stops the water continues to churn right and some people might think about well knowing the Sea of Galilee, that the wind can just whip up and then stop just immediately, it was just all coincidence, right? But we're being told it's not, right? But not here. Not only does the wind die down, but it says the water completely goes still. And one of the things that all ancient cultures actually held in common was the belief that the sea, any big, large bodies of water, it was this uncontrollable force of power and destruction that no human being, regardless if you were a king or, or a fisherman or anything, it didn't matter how powerful you were as a human being, no one could tame the sea. They all agreed that only God could tame the power and the destruction of the sea. So, knowing that, and knowing that that was the thought process at this time, by calming the storm, Jesus is declaring something that was incomprehensible to the men in that boat. He is declaring that he is God. Because remember, they at that time, they only felt the only The only person that could have control over the sea would be God. And by Jesus calming the sea, he was declaring without saying the words that he was God. That's why immediately after Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are terrified, right? And they start to ask amongst themselves, who is this? Like, who is this? It's not really a question from the disciples as much as it was a declaration. They are saying, we know that Jesus was a teacher. We know that Jesus was a rabbi. We know that Jesus was the Messiah. But now, this thinking, but now we're being brought face to face with reality that this guy who was just sleeping on a cushion in the back of our boat is God. Notice that when Jesus calms the storm, Jesus doesn't call on a higher power when he does it, right? That's because Jesus is the higher power here. Jesus is not just someone who has power. Jesus is the power. Jesus is the source of all power. So the storm-calming power of Jesus, it's incomprehensible, We we can't understand and comprehend the magnitude of his power. Another thing that we can learn from this passage is that the storm-calming power of Jesus is also uncontrollable as well. And that may be the hardest thing to get our minds around. There's this interesting dynamic that takes place with the disciples here, actually. Before Jesus calms the sea... They are really scared. The boat is taking on water faster than they can bail it out. And it's just complete chaos going on. But then they wake Jesus up and he calms the storm. So now the wind has stopped. The waves have died down. The sea is now dead calm. It's like glass. So now the disciples are at peace, right? They went from this chaotic terrifying experience to now this serene, peaceful painting that we might see of a, of a nice big body of water with a mountain in the backdrop and it's just glass, right? Of course, they would be peaceful. No, not even close. Now they're even more scared and more terrified. And in fact, they, according to the text, it says they are terrified. And you might be thinking, how could that be? How could they be even more scared or even more terrified now than they were just moments ago in the midst of that massive storm? Well, part of it probably has to do with the fact that they are now beginning to understand who's actually in the boat with them. That it's God who's in the boat. And scripture has a lot to say about the fact that it could be te- a terrifying experience when we recognize our unholiness in the very presence of a holy God. Scripture talks a lot about that, right? That terrifying experience of being in the presence of a holy God and understanding and recognizing and being aware of how unholy we are. And that was probably what was going on. It could be a ter- that could be a terrifying experience. But I think it's more than just that the reason the disciples are so scared in the midst of the storm is because they thought jesus had abandoned them they had thought jesus had abandoned them think about it right they are in this crisis and they look at jesus and what is he doing he's sleeping through it he's sleeping through their crisis their chaos And it looks like because of him sleeping, it seems like he doesn't even care. And you could probably identify with that at some level. I know I can. I know there's times in my life where I'm in the storm and it might seem like Jesus has abandoned me. It just doesn't seem like Jesus is there or present or that he doesn't even care. And I think anyone who's a follower of Jesus, you're trying to walk by faith, right? You're putting your faith in Him. And I think we can all relate to this at some level. Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe right now you're dealing with some storms in your life. Maybe you're saying the same things the disciples were saying. Jesus, wake up. I'm drowning here. I don't know how much longer I can last. Don't you care about what I'm going through? Can you relate to that? The premise of those questions that we all ask, not just the disciples, that we all ask is this, that the power of the storm and the power of Jesus to calm the storm are mutually exclusive. In other words, if the storm is raging, then it means the storm-calming power of Jesus must not be at work. If the storm is raging, then his power to calm that storm is not working. That's what we think, right? That's why as soon as Jesus calms the storm, what does he do? He turns and rebukes the disciples. And he asks two questions. Great questions, to be honest. Haunting questions. Questions I'm sure Jesus has asked us. I know that he's asked me. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Like Jesus is telling, as he's asking that, what he's, the point he's trying to get across to them is is this, like, I've been talking to you all along about what it means to follow me. I've been demonstrating to you my power over and over again, and yet now you get into this new situation. And I can identify with this. You get into this new situation, like you've heard me talk about it all the time. You've seen my power being demonstrated. And then you enter in this new thing, and there's some chaos. And you're worrying, and you're wondering, do I even care? And he asks, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After all I've said and after all I've done. And you enter into something new and you forget it all. That's what he's telling the disciples. Like you forgot everything that I've told you. You forgot everything that I've shown you. You forgot everything you've experienced and encountered with being me. Like you're forgetting. And how many times do we forget? And we walk into a situation We walk into a new storm, and we forget everything that's just taking place. We forget about everything that he's told us. We forget everything that he has shown us. We forget how his power and his presence shows up in our life. Right? In other words, just because the storm is raging, Jesus is saying, doesn't mean I'm not at work. So he's saying to them, he's saying to us, you need to trust me even in the midst of the storm. And this is the point. No matter how things look around you, I get the fact it looks pretty scary. I get the fact that the waves are high and it, feel, and, and, it, and it feels like you're drowning. But you need to trust me even when it doesn't look so awesome. It's easy to trust me when things look awesome. It's easy to trust me when when we're in the middle of this gorgeous lake with a mountain, panoramic view, and, and, and the, and the, the water is just glass. It's easy to trust me when the scene looks awesome and it looks like that. But you need to trust me when the sea is rough. You need to trust me when the storm is still going on and raging. And that's what terrifies the disciples even more than the storm, because Jesus is saying that not only is the storm uncontrollable, he's saying that his power to calm the storm is also uncontrollable. In other words, not only are we unable to control the storm, we are also unable to control Jesus. That's scary, isn't it? That we are unable to make Jesus do what we want. That we are unable to make Jesus do what we want, when we want, the way we want. And in many ways, that is even more terrifying than the storm. Because we have no control. Because if we can't control Jesus, that means the only thing we can do is trust Jesus. To put our faith in Jesus. And that could be a really scary at times, right? Especially when the storm is raging. Especially when we can't see how God is at work in the midst of that storm. See, when we find ourselves in that situation, there are two things that we can depend on. When we find ourselves in that, God is at work, whether you can see Him at work or not. We need to claim that. God is at work, whether we can see it or not. That in the midst of the storm that you might be in right this second, right now, God, I'm telling you, God is at work in your life, whether you can see Him at work or not. He is at work. You need to trust that. That His ability to work, is not determined by your ability to see it or to feel it or to recognize it or to understand it. And the other thing is that the difference between the uncontrollable power of the storm and the uncontrollable power of Jesus is this, that the storm does not love you. But Jesus does. We need to understand that. The storm doesn't love love you, Jesus does. Here's the truth. The storm that you might be in right now, the storm doesn't give a flying rip about you at all. Not one bit does it care about you. It doesn't care about what you're going through. It doesn't care about the destruction that's taking place in your life. It doesn't care about the division or the doubt or the stress that you're experiencing because of it, it doesn't care. And I don't think Jesus was necessarily upset with the disciples because they woke him up. I think at the bottom of it all, he was upset with the disciples because they truly believed in that moment that Jesus didn't care about them. And that he was actually going to let them drown that was probably more upsetting than actually being woken up. But here's the reality. Jesus did care about them. And Jesus cares about you as well. It's knowing that Jesus loves you that allows you in the midst of the storm to not panic, to not become overwhelmed by the storm and not be paralyzed by fear. And everything changes knowing that. Everything in our mind, in our heart, in our life changes knowing that Jesus loves and cares about you in the midst of the storm. His power is uncontrollable. And lastly, the storm-calming power of Jesus is sacrificial as well. What's interesting about this story is that, did you know that it parallels another story in the Old Testament? Would you know which story that would be? How about the story of Jonah? The similarities between the story of Jonah and this story are amazing. Think about it. Here's some of the main details of both stories. Both Jesus and Jonah get into a boat. They are out in the sea. Both of their boats are overtaken by a massive storm. The descriptions of the two storms are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep while the storm is raging. In both stories, the sailors come to the one sleeping, telling them that they're about to die. Both stories, God miraculously intervenes and he calms the sea. And in both, the sailors are more terrified after the sea is calm than before. If you're familiar with both of these stories, you know there's, there's one big difference, though. In the story of Jonah, Jonah tells the sailors what? He says, the only way for you guys to survive this, and the only way for this storm to be calm, is to throw me into the sea, and as I die, and as I drown, the storm will calm. In this story, in Mark, Jesus doesn't get thrown into the raging sea, to save the disciples. Jesus wakes up and he says, be quiet and stay quiet and the storm stops. Now, when you pull back from this story and this particular storm, you begin to realize that both this storm and the story of Jonah are pointing actually to another story, a much bigger story. Jesus connects the dots for us in Matthew chapter 12, and this is what he says on 30, um, verse 39 and following. He says, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. You see what Jesus is saying there, right? He's saying that he is the ultimate Jonah. Because on the cross, Jesus was actually thrown into the ultimate storm, right? He was thrown into the storm of our brokenness, the storm of our sin, of our failures. And Jesus allowed himself to be destroyed by the storm so that we could be rescued from the storm. And that's the gospel at its core, right? Right? It's that Jesus allowed himself to be thrown into the storm so that we could be rescued from the storm. See, when you embrace the reality of that, not only are you rescued from the ultimate storm, it gives you the confidence to put your trust in Jesus knowing that he won't abandon you in the other smaller storms that we go through in life as well. So, knowing all that, hearing all that, where do you need to experience the storm-calming presence of Jesus in your life? Where do you need to experience that right now in your life? Like, where are you drowning right now that you need his storm-calming presence to come in. Whatever that storm is, whatever that may be, what we're learning here today is that you need to turn it over to Jesus. You need to trust it to Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus. I know that can be terrifying to give over control to whatever it is, but you can trust the storm calming Messiah. Why? Because he loves you. It's because he cares about you, and he will not let you drown. Instead, he will actually rescue you. Lord, we thank you for the presence and the power of your Son in our life. Lord, when we go through these storms, when we experience these storms in our life, Thank you for reminding us and giving us confidence in the midst of it that your son, our Messiah, has this power to calm our storm. And Lord, I pray that we will just lay it all down at the foot of the cross. We'll give it over to you. Lord, if we're drowning in something, in some area in our life, and it's just hard It's hard to gasp for air. Lord, just come. Come with your power, come with your presence, and calm that storm. Have the wind die down and the sea calm. Thank you that you are the only Messiah that can do that in our life, that you are the only Messiah that can bring healing, redemption, restoration, You're the only Messiah that can set us free and to calm the storms in our life. So knowing that, I pray that we'll just put our trust in you and just give you control. We pray this in your name. Amen.